Well, good morning. How are you guys doing? Yeah, good to see you. Um, today, we have a little different kind of service planned. I uh, want to welcome you. My name is Kevin Valentine. I'm the lead pastor here. And for those of you joining us online, welcome to Kensington. Thank you for joining us. Um, but typically on a Sunday, you know, we're wanting to start with high energy and a little bit of rock and roll and fun. And today, because of where we're going, we want to start and just have the day be different from the jump. Um, we're in the second week of a series called Back to a New Future, and we've really kind of been looking at the last seven months of our lives and just kind of taking a look at going, okay, with our forced slowdown, less busyness, less craziness, could there be something that God is trying to break through and teach us during this time? And so today um, we're talking about silence and solitude, and, and uh, we're, we're looking at how God might be wanting to change the way that we operate when we get a little bit more back to normal. But before we, uh, but rather than just talk about silence and solitude, really our hope is that we would experience it together. And so I want you to just take a moment and take a deep breath. Breathe out. We're going to do one more, okay? You guys ready? Deep breath. Just breathe out. my own friend I've come to talk with you again because a vision softly creeping left its seeds while I was sleeping and the vision that was planted in my brain still Cancer grow 
Hear my words that I might teach you. Take my arms that I might reach you. Put my words like sun raindrops fell and echoed in the wells of silence, and the people bowed and prayed to the neon god they made. Out its warning in the words that it was forming, and the sign said, "Words of the prophets are written on the subway walls and tenement halls." And whispered in the sound of Almost hate to break the silence. So let me just ask you: Was that a little uncomfortable for you? Just the quietness, sitting in a full in a, a room that's socially distanced, full. It's like we are not in a quiet place with other people very often because silence most often um, seems like a bad thing or an unnatural thing or or it's just uncomfortable it's like uh you know silence and solitude are two words as a as a culture that we know on paper but i don't think we are very familiar with it in um, experience and so my hope for today is that after today you will actually choose to place moments of quiet into the rhythm of your life 
Because God designed you to function best on a soul level when you have a measure of silence and solitude and quietness in the rhythm of your life. And it's a spiritual discipline, actually. It, it requires intentionality and it requires time. And it is, it is vital to spiritual health and spiritual growth. It's vital to building a relationship with God. And we're in this kind of unprecedented time in my life, and I believe in yours as well, unlike any other where as a whole, we have been forced to slow down. You have not had an option but to slow down because you have less options. You have had for six to seven months, there are less things to do. There's less busyness available. There's not as many things to plug in and keep your life busy. And so my prayer and our prayer and why we're doing this series is, is that as things ramp back up and you have more opportunities to get back to the way things were, our hope and my prayer for you is that you would actually get back to a new future because of the new choices you're going to make on how to spend your time, organize your lives, and engage with God and other important people in your lives. And so if you were to look back at yourself seven, eight months ago, the average family, there are some words that I think many of us would have used and maybe still use to define and describe our life back then with mom and dad both working. Um, you kind of come bursting in the door at the end of every day off to extracurricular activities. We live in the land of play with amusement parks and we're kind of one of the entertainment capitals of the world. There's always something to do. And if I were to ask you to look back and describe in words how your life was back before COVID-19, I have a series of words that might describe your life and described mine then. Hurried, hassled, restless, busy, empty, tired, weary, worn out. Anybody resonate with those words? Yeah, a lot of us do, and I see a lot of heads nodding. Now, in contrast, I want to give you two words that God wants your life to be described by. And they're words that would describe the life that Jesus lived. And I want to uh, describe Jesus' life as two things. The first word is rested. Jesus lived a rested life. He was active. He had a busy speaking calendar. But he was never frenzied. He was never um, once in Scripture described as rushing to get anywhere or running to get to the next stop on the speaking calendar. There's never an instance in Scripture where he was stressed about a single thing. He had a deep rest that he offers to us. So I would describe Jesus' life as rested. I would also describe Jesus' life as fruitful, just fruitful. The lifestyle, the life that he lived was so incredibly fruitful that you and I, 2,000 years later, are part of the fruit of his life on earth, part of the way he spent his time and the impact that he had. And that is the kind of life that Jesus is looking for you to have is a life that is rested and fruitful. Now, try and reimagine your life in a new future and imagine that your life would not be worn out. Your life would not be weary, it wouldn't be frenetic, it wouldn't be frenzied, it wouldn't be tiresome, you're not anxious, you're not ragged, 
You're not exhausted. You are actually rested and fruitful. How many of you would like to sign up for that life? Anybody? Yeah, I think all of us would love to describe our life as rested and fruitful. That's the life that Jesus promises us that we can have. Jesus says, in fact, I came to give you life and life to the full. And let me just tell you, life to the full is not a full calendar with doing everything. It's a fullness of soul, a fullness of spirit, a fullness of heart. So the question is, how do you get from where many of us were? We've got this kind of slow down lull before things start ramping back up. And while we're resetting our schedules and the rhythms of our life, how do we get to rested and fruitful Well, before we can talk about how to get there, we've kind of got to go back and talk about the past and how we got to where we were. And it's really fascinating when you go back hundreds of years, centuries uh, back, um, way before technology. Let me give you a little history lesson. Way before technology, um, we, uh, hundreds of years ago, time was more natural. It was linked to the rotation of the earth and the four seasons. We slept to the moon and we awoke to the sun. Long and busy summers, slower winters, the sun set our rhythms of work and rest Um, within God's creation. Think about this. Within nature, God placed natural rhythms that are healthy for his creation. We're part of that. Then fast forward to the year 1370. It was a turning point in our relationship with time. It was the first public clock tower was put up in Germany and the clock changed everything, creating artificial time. We stopped listening to our bodies. We stopped listening to the earth um, and started rising with our clocks, with our alarms or sirens or bells or whatever. It changed the rhythm that we lived our life to. Well, fast forward to 1879. Um, Edison created the light bulb, which gave us artificial light. So now we're living by artificial time and artificial light. You're staying up past sunset. Before Edison, the average person slept 11 hours a night right? Wouldn't that be cool if we could do that? I don't think I could if I tried. But even back then, weekends were still sacred. Well, fast forward to 1946, 7-Eleven became the first chain store to be open seven days a week. In 1963, they started being open 24 hours a day to meet the demands of this culture that was up at all hours of the night and always going, 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 going. Well, then things started to ramp up. Later in that century, along came time and labor-saving devices where, you know, you get cars, phones, computers, phones that are computers, which are great when we're in control of them, And we really use them to gain more time. But do we use them to gain more time and do less work? No. We use them to even do more work faster. Like that's what we did. Like we've just just used these time-saving devices and we don't use it to save time. We actually use it to pack more things into our time. Um, Then starting in 2007, not too long ago, Steve Jobs and Apple, I wish I would have bought stock when I was 20, um, released the iPhone, the very first smartphone. And my flip phone that I had at the time became obsolete. I held out though but eventually caved. Um, Then Facebook opened up. Anyone with email, Twitter, became its own platform. The cloud, year one, the app store, the start of our current digital age began, and we started bringing our our work home in our pockets. And that started a whole other fight for our time because now our home lives were being impacted by the fact that our work came home with us and these smartphones that we have. Well, fast forward to today. Let me just give you some current smartphone stats. 3.5 billion smartphone users worldwide. 
Half the population of Earth has a smartphone. 81% of Americans have smartphones. 47 47% of people in the U.S. say they can't live without their phones. The average user, this is totally gross, touches their phone 2,600 times a day. It's like a coronavirus cesspool. Do not borrow anyone's phone. And if they say, hey, look at this, just go show me from a distance. On average, U.S. users average three hours, 10 minutes a day over 110 sessions every single day. One statistic says that college, uh, it's women um, that are college age spend 10 hours a day on their smartphones. Phantom phone is a thing. Have you had this phantom phone thing where it's like your phone cannot go off, it cannot do anything, but it feels or you think it did, so you reach for it and you check it out. And sometimes I have had my leg feel like it's vibrating like a text came in and I don't even have my phone on me. It's a, it's a deal. As you grow dependent on your, your smartphone, it becomes a device that silently shouts your name at all times, making you want to check it. It's like I looked at our, our family. Um, we have Hulu that we use as our main source of TV. Um, Hulu does not allow you to get rid of all commercials, even if you record the show, which is maddening, by the way. I got a beef with Hulu. But during commercials that I'm forced to watch, I have an absolute compulsion to check my phone every single time. Like, I have to. Like, I can't not go through a commercial when it's sitting there to not check it and just see if I got an alert. See if I missed something because I was into my show. I have to check my text. I have to check my email. I must be doing something at all times that has impacted our attention spans. Pre-digital age, our attention spans as human beings was a whopping 12 seconds. Post-digital age, since 2007, it has shrunk to 8 seconds. So you're overachieving right now. The saddest part of that statistic is a goldfish's attention span is actually nine seconds. 89% of Americans say in their last social interaction, they took out a phone, 82% said that immediately degraded the conversation. Immediately deteriorated the conversation they were in. My wife, when I do that, because it's crazy, like I will do that. I will, I will, we will be in the middle of a conversation and my phone will make a noise or I'll have a phantom phone thing and I will actually pull it out in the middle of a conversation and she's great. She will literally just stop. And I'm like, no, no, go ahead, I'm listening. And she will not, man. Some of the times she smiles at me and she won't talk till I put it away. Think about your life and how much of your life is spent with some type of device shooting light into your eyes, forcing your brain to interact and react and pay attention. Some type of information invading your mind, making you respond and interact with it. Even when we're not making any noise, our minds are not very quiet. We are living in a time where being silent and quiet and experiencing solitude, being alone with nothing to do with no input, no screen, no images to look at feels foreign to us. Like you might be sitting there going, well, why would I not have that in my face? Like be totally silent and solitude with no screen or phone or anything like that. Why? What's your point? Well, this gets me to a passage of scripture that I want to use to help us get back to a new future of creating space in our lives to connect with God through silence and solitude to the point where silence and solitude is actually something we can't live without. 
because we've worked it into the rhythm of our life. And so the passage I'm talking about is in the book of John. Jesus is speaking to 11 of his disciples. Judas had actually left to make his deal with the religious leaders, which he was going to turn Jesus in, and they were going to eventually crucify him. And while Jesus is talking to them, he says this to them in John 15, verse 1. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the words I have spoken to me. Remain in you as I also remain in, remain in me as I also remain in you. Now, Jesus is talking here about something that we don't really know a whole lot about in our culture. We don't talk about it a whole lot, but that is vineyards. Um, I don't know. Maybe you have a vineyard in your backyard. I don't. Um, I don't even think I've ever really walked through a vineyard. But I was listening to a, a guy this last week describe what someone does who is an expert at running a vineyard um, called a, a, a vine dresser. That's what they're called, vine dresser. That's an expert at running a vineyard and, and uh, taking care of vines. <clears throat> And as they walked through this particular vineyard, what surprised this gentleman that I was listening to kind of describe his experience, he was really shocked at how much space was around every vine. There was a tremendous amount of space between the vines uh, for growth. They weren't cluttered. They weren't all shoved into each other. They weren't these massive things that were just growing out everywhere. There actually was quite a bit of space in between each one. And when this guy asked the vine dresser why there were so much space in between, he actually said, oh, that's because of pruning, which we just heard about Jesus say, hey, uh, you know, that's what, that's what um, a, a, vine, a vine dresser does, prune so that it will, the vine will be even more, more fruitful. And he says, well, explain that to me. And the vine dresser says, well, I actually cut away 90% of the new growth that comes in. 90% of the new growth. It says for the best fruit, for the, for the healthiest branches, which actually makes the vine more fruitful than if all the branches allowed, were allowed to grow, 90% of them are pruned. Now, look at your life, and let me suggest to you that one of the reasons that we are so hurried and fruitless and frenzied and busy is because we have so much clutter that we have allowed to grow in and around our life. Because we say yes to everything. We're always going. We're rarely in a moment where a device isn't forcing us to interact and forcing us to think and giving us stuff that we want, think we want. Like there, there's, there's never moments where our minds aren't occupied, where we're not scrolling through videos in endless rabbit holes that we can't get out of for, you know, you look up and you're like a half hour's gone by, an hour has gone by, and you're like, wow, I'm awesome. That's not what you think in those moments. But some of us have cluttered our life so much that it is causing issues in our life that we don't even realize are caused by the clutter and the choices that we're making. Some of the clutter in our lives is, is stuff in our life that's just out of alignment with God. It needs to be pruned, needs to be cut out. It's just not in alignment with what God wants for your life. Some of the stuff in our life is about cleansing and, and finding freedom and dealing with some of the stuff that is in our life from our past and some of our past mistakes and difficulties through ministries like Celebrate Recovery and Soul Care, um, things that, you know, places where you can go and deal with some of the hurts, habits, and hang-ups that we've had that's just clutter around our life. It's kind of not allowing us to, to connect and, and be silent and, be, and have a little bit of solitude. Some of the clutter in our lives is just busyness and the constant connection to our, our, to our technology. 
most of us have things in our life that push Jesus and spiritual growth to the side. Most of us have things in our lives that you just push Jesus to the side. And some of them are good, but, but they're choking out spiritual growth. And to get to a life that is rested and fruitful, some of the stuff in our life literally needs to be pruned. I don't know about 90%, but some of it needs to be gone, like cut away. Jesus goes on. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain connected in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And I think sometimes we forget this and we think we can actually be fruitful in our life apart from God. Jesus is just reminding us, hey, outside of me, you're not going to be fruitful. Verse 5, very, very famous passage, Jesus says, I'm the vine. I'm the vine here. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Here is the goal of Jesus for your life. Is that you would live rested and bear fruit. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my, my disciples. Jesus is saying, look, the secret to living a rested and fruitful life, a supernaturally fruitful life, is this word called abiding. It's a biblical word for being an intimate, soul-connected relationship with Jesus. It's called abiding. It's just spending time with Jesus. You're the branch connecting into the vine on a heart soul level. The number one way for us to live a life that is rested and fruitful is being in right, deep, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Apart from that, we will live hurried, frenzied, trying to make things happen, unfruitful lives. If you just run, 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 go, 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 say yes to everything, allow the clutter of constant input, constant noise from the moment you wake up. Like, let me ask you a question just to let you know how slaved you are to your device. Um, in the morning, do you check your phone before you go to the bathroom or while you're going to the bathroom? I bet you have an answer. Right? Like, that's just, that's just the deal. You live your life like that, constant frenzied activity, constant stuff coming into your mind, constant stuff that you have to interact with. Um, you can actually choke Jesus out of your life. Not like UFC choke Jesus out, like in a cage match, he'll always win. But it's kind of like you can choke the room, the space necessary for spiritual growth to happen in your life. You can choke that out of your life by living at a pace that A, is unsustainable, but B, chokes God out of it. But if you abide and connect, engage with Jesus, you choose to create space for the kind of growth Jesus offered, your life can begin one where you go, how are you doing? I'm rested and fruitful. What kind of fruit? Glad you asked. Galatians 5. The Apostle Paul gives us a list of the fruit that grows in our lives when we are connected to Jesus through the Holy Spirit of God, Galatians 5.22. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love. Joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There is no law against these things. The kind of fruit that Jesus dreams would be pouring out of your life is a life that is full of every one of those. Imagine your life overflowing with love for God and for other people, meaning that when people were around you, they just felt loved. And they're just like, I don't know what's up with that person, but man, when I'm around them, 
I just feel loved. Why? Because you're so full with the love of Jesus in your heart because you've spent time with him that you can't help but pour it out on other people. Imagine your life with an undercurrent of joy, not worry. Like the undercurrent of your life is joy, not worry. Imagine your life where it's a life of peace, not stress, a life of patience, not frenzied, trying to get to the next thing and tapping your foot, waiting for things to happen. Get, let the person get, come meet with you. It's a life that's filled with kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and controlling your desires, not having your desires control you. Doesn't that sound like a good life? That's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. When we prune back and leave room for God, we can be rested and that kind of fruitful. Jesus modeled this for all of us. Matthew 3, right after his baptism, he started his public ministry after he went away into the desert for 40 days alone by himself, desolate, quiet place called the wilderness. Jesus constantly retreated to this place called the wilderness. Mark 1, Jesus was up early and out the door to a quiet place. Mark 1, verse 35, before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Um, Later, Simon and the others went out to find him like Jesus was like I got to get out the door and get out here by myself um, and to the point where the disciples would wake up later and go where'd he go we lost him right you know like what, what's what's going on the quiet place wasn't a one-time thing for Jesus it was an ongoing part of his rhythm throughout the gospels the quiet place was a top priority for Jesus and I'll just tell you often what you need in your life is not a beer and a night out to unwind You actually need some quiet moments with Jesus, with God, in silence and a little bit of solitude to connect. Mark 6, Jesus invited the disciples to rest. They were going to rest, but 5,000 people like caught him as he got out of the boat on the other side of the lake with all of their wives and children. 5,000 men, it says, all their wives and children. So Jesus actually, um, you know, stopped and he, he taught them because life happens. We can't always do exactly what we want. He feeds them. And then he sends the disciples in a boat on across the lake. And he says, you guys need to go on across the lake. I'm going to go up on the mountainside to pray by himself. And later he like walked out on the water to them. It was awesome. And everyone freaked out except for Peter. Um, In Luke, Jesus went to a quiet place no less than nine times. The busier and more in demand and famous Jesus became, the more he actually withdrew to a quiet place to pray. Jesus needed silence and solitude and made space for God to break through, to abide And the question is, if Jesus needed that, how much more do you think you and I need that? And I would say this, even if you're here and you're not a Christian yet, you're checking out the whole Christian thing. I'll just say this. Even if you're not following God, you need times of silence and solitude in your life. You need time for your brain to just rest. You need time for your brain to actually do some mending and healing, which that's what the, uh, the experts say boredom does. They're like, they, a lot of times we think boredom's bad. They're like, no, boredom gives your brain a chance to, hel- to, to heal. It gives your brain a chance to kind of he- replenish itself a little bit. It's actually good for us. So I want to get into, let's talk about the how, right? It's a good thing. Jesus says that we need to do it. Jesus did it. How do we do it? How do we abide in Jesus? What and when do we do this? Well, incorporating silence and solitude into your life requires four things. And I'm going to get into all four. They all start with S. Maybe you'll remember them. I'm hoping that you do. Um, First is it's setting aside time. This is going to take dedicated time in your life. It requires you to make an adjustment of what's important to you. 
You've got to adjust it. Coming out of this COVID thing, it's prioritizing and set aside moments in your life just to connect with God in silence, cutting out the clutter in the input of your device. No email, no Instagram, no Facebook, just rest in solitude. You can redeem the time that you're already using for other things. Like you can use your commute time, turn the radio off. Uh, Like just ask yourself this question. um, Has sports talk radio really ever changed anybody's life? Nope. But turning off your radio and driving in silence and connecting with God, connecting your heart to God's heart, actually can change your life. Your time in the morning where you grab your coffee and uh, you turn on the TV or you read the news feed for that 10 minutes. Grab your coffee and take those 10 minutes to just connect vertically. What does that mean? Fixing your attention on the presence of God in your life. You can sit there for 10 minutes and just go, where's God shown up this week? Has God shown up this week? You can become aware of and conscious of and in tune with Jesus. God is willing to set aside his time to spend with you anytime you're willing to set aside your time to spend with him. He's just right there. He's just willing. He's the author of relationships. Like he designed them. He dreamed them up. He created them. He created you to be at your best and most fulfilled when you were in deep connected relationship with him. And you know how um, love is spelled in a relationship. Love is spelled in a relationship. T-I-M-E. That's how you spell love in a relationship. It requires time. You will not grow spiritually without setting aside intentional time to be with and acknowledge and focus on God. You just won't. So set aside time. Second requirement is stillness. It's stillness. Psalm 37, 7, be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Don't worry about about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. Scripture oftentimes describes God's voice as a still, small voice. And oftentimes, it's described as a whisper. Now, let me just ask you. This is just human nature. If someone is whispering to you, what do you do? Stop. Get still. Lean in. Okay, what'd you say? Like, you have to. You don't say, hey, whisper and walk with me. Like, you don't do that. You have to stop. You have to get still. You have to lean in to hear a whisper. That's the only way it works. Otherwise, you'll miss it. So often, we're like, yeah, 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 God, come on, speak, speak, speak. Like, come on, let's go, go, go. I need you to just, just break in and do your thing. When really, God's just like, no, I'm, it's a whisper. I need to talk to you in the stillness of your heart, not the busyness of your heart. I need to have time to, to actually get a hold of your soul and do some business and work in there. And that requires us to be still. And I'm just telling you, if you have never heard from God where he's spoken to you, where he's nudged you, where he's impressed upon you a thought, an image, a direction to go in, the question is, have you slowed down enough and been still enough for him to speak to you? Have you ever gotten rid of enough clutter to hear God speak to your soul? So to practice this spiritual discipline, you need to set aside time. You need to be still. The third requirement is silence. Psalm 4610, be silent and know that I am God. There's a connection there between being silent and knowing God. I will be honored by every nation. I'll be honored throughout the world. Silence is just something that we fight against. I don't know if you've been in your home and it's just too quiet, so you turn on TV or radio just to have noise. Like that's kind of, that's kind of us. Well, in a new future, it's adding silence to your routine. No input of any kind. No computer, no TV, no device shooting information into your eyes. Because so often it's the quietness of the heart that God breaks through. And the fourth ingredient is seclusion. It's seclusion, Matthew 6, 6. 
But when you pray, Jesus is teaching us, but when you pray, when you connect to God and communicate with God, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your father secretly. Then your father who knows all secrets will reward you. What will he reward you with? I believe the greatest reward that we have on this planet is God's presence. If you are willing to be silent and quiet and seclude yourself, go into a closet, shut the door behind you and secretly meet with your heavenly father. He will reward you with his presence. You will hear God's voice break through the clutter because you've given him space to do so. Luke 5.16, as often as possible, Jesus withdrew to out-of-the-way places for prayer. And this is all about just limiting distractions, connecting with Jesus. And I will tell you, when I am um, vitally connected to Jesus, I carry more of his presence around with me everywhere I go. And when Jesus is around, things happen but I can't carry Jesus' presence around with me if I've not been in the presence of Jesus. We can do nothing apart from him. His presence is that powerful in our lives. We can actually live rested and fruitful lives and we connect to him. One of the foundational goals of silence and solitude is to get to a place where we know who we are in God. We allow God the opportunity to speak into us words that will let us remind, reminds us that we're loved. Reminds us that he died for our sins. Reminds us that he cares about us. Because this world isn't telling us that. But God wants to tell you that every day. Just this um, last Thursday, uh, I was working on this message and realized um, that this is not something that I do much of. Sit in silence in God's presence. Like I, I have a quiet time, but I've always been told, hey, quiet time is reading your Bible and praying. So that's what I do. And I'm like, well, I'm teaching on it. This is not a part of my regular rhythm. I've done it before, but it's not regular. And so I um, took my phone and I, I set it for five minutes. And I sat back and I closed my eyes and I just engaged with God. It took me like two minutes to just like the first thing I remember thinking is, wow, I have a ringing in my ears. That's interesting. Because I heard it because I usually don't hear it. And then it was just weird being quiet. And as my thoughts kind of began to focus in on God and who God is and how, where God has shown up in my life, I began to become aware of his presence. And it was interesting. I forgot I was timing this time. Like I just started experiencing, um, you know, closing my eyes and listening uh, to the point where it's like I just had this moment where, gosh, the craziness and the hurriedness and all the thoughts just kind of went away and I just felt the presence of God there with me. And then um, I was jolted by the cruelty of the alarm that I had set because it went off and went, meh, meh, meh. And I'm like, wait, pick a different ringtone next time. <laughs> but it went by in seconds and it was unbelievably peaceful, like in a, in a way that I haven't experienced in a long time. Like I was shocked. I'm like, okay, if that can happen in five minutes, what might happen in 10? And I was like, don't get ahead of yourself, man. Let's start small. But I'm just like, five minutes. It went by in a, in, a, in a heartbeat. And I felt like I experienced a connection with God that I don't get from reading the Bible and, 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 and praying. It was an overwhelming sense of restfulness and closeness with my Heavenly Father. And so we thought it'd be really cool um, today if we're going to build this into a rhythm of our life. And I would just say, if you want to start small, do five minutes a day. Um, we want to start that five minutes now. We want to give all of us in the room five minutes of silence and solitude. Um, and so in a few moments, we're going to turn out the lights. We're going to put a five-minute timer on the screen, and we're just going to practice five minutes of silence. And 
what I want you to do during this is I want you to take this opportunity to slow down your mind from all the stuff that's happening um, in your life. And I want you to fix your attention on the presence of God. That's what you came here to do, right? Is connect with God. And even if you're not a Christian yet, you still came here looking for God, trying to figure out this God piece of your life. So fix your attention on the presence of God in your life. If you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to just sit back and close your eyes and just become aware of, conscious of, and in tune with Jesus. And if you don't know what to do, because the tendency is to want to pray last service, I'm like, I just kept wanting to pray. It's like, you can just, just quietly just say, Jesus, Jesus, or show me where you've been in my life, and then just don't say anything else. But just connect with him. Before we do that, I want us to just take a, a deep breath, and then I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going to start a journey that starts with silence and ends with worship. We're going to go on a journey for the next um, 15 minutes or so, maybe a little longer. Um, but we're going to start with five minutes of silence. So if you would, with me before I pray, um, close your eyes. Everybody take a big, deep breath. And just exhale. Father, as we sit in silence over the next five minutes, would you just allow your Holy Spirit to sweep across this room and touch each one of us in a unique way? Lord, quiet our minds, quiet our hearts, quiet our souls, and speak to us as we abide in you.
the start, before the beginning of time. With no point of reference, you spoke through the dark and flushed out the wonder of life. And as you speak, a hundred billion galaxies are born. In the vapor of your breath, the planets form. If the stars were made to worship, so will I. I can see your heart in everything you've made Every burning star a single fire of grace If creation sings your praises so will I I see the world in light I see the world in wonder I see the world in life bursting in It's so easy 
to miss what God has for you, it's it's just it's hard. So when we sit and we actually have the time to be quiet, uh, in Revelation it it says that I stand at the door and I knock, and we get so busy that a lot of times we just can't hear him knocking. So this morning, I'm going to invite the band to, to join us on stage, and we're going to worship. And right now, I know a lot of people have things that they need to talk about and things they need to do with God, and I want to just invite you in this time to just sit in the moment and do business with God. And when you're ready this morning, I want you to join us in worship.
everything with breath repeat the song all his children clean hands pure hearts good grace